new beginning. Hello, everybody. This is the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us to, you know, I guess, listen to another podcast, another story, another journey through life and, I guess, through loss. So, once again, I, uh, I'm so grateful for the listeners and everything you're doing to support the platform. So, um, thank you. Special guest today is Carrie Drolet. Uh, she is a PhD student uh, focusing on social slash personality. Um, her re- research interests are belief in a just world, victim blaming, hypocrisy induction paradigm, in and out group biases, human rights, and prejudice. That's a lot of research interests. They're all highly related, so it's not. They're not as distinct as they sound. So, is this the first time you've ever been on a podcast? It is. Have you been on radio or anything? I've not. Whoa, this is like a new experience. It is, which is why I reacted so oddly to wearing these headphones. Well, you seem pretty calm in general, though, which is great. I mean, honestly, it's we're not experts. We're just us. But we get people coming on that are very nervous. We were nervous when we started this, right? It's not something that, you know, you can get taught in the classroom. I don't know. All of the presentations I've done in grad school and undergrad have really taught me how to keep, you know, that, like, nervous public speaking, like screaming inside, mm. look really calm on the outside, and then just internally just like panicking. So are you panicking right now inside? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, because we don't want that carry. We want the carry that's... No, just yeah. just when I present. When I present, I'm internally panicking. It just doesn't look like it. Okay, only time we have to talk about statistics and models and stuff, you're panicking. But here, uh, we're talking about life. You're good? Yeah, life's good. <laughs> life's good. good. All right, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, is life and your journey. So I think for those listeners who've been following us, I think we should introduce uh, Carrie as the person, the one, the only <laughs> individual that me and Travis went to the birthday party. Oh. Yes. So we, on that podcast, that's what we sort of talked about, this Absolutely. escape rooms. And yeah. so let's go to the source who actually set up the escape room and get her thoughts on it. It was not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I do not like being startled. I don't particularly like being in the dark or like not being able to see what's going on. I don't really like things that are super creepy. And in that room was all of those things. <laughs> it's it's very was, interesting. Yeah, I was saying on that podcast, if that was my birthday, I'd want something relaxing. <laughs> you know, like well, like the one that I went to before was a pirate escape room, and it was like it was silly. Like you had to crawl through like the different parts of this ship that they made and like do some puzzles and you had to figure out clues based on like journal entries from whoever lived on the ship. It wasn't creepy, it was like silly and fun. And so I thought it was gonna be like that. But then you go in and they're like, Oh, you're in this little school from a collapsed mountain where a bunch of children died. <laughs> like, oh it, it wasn't just like the the scene, but like they had like the dolls. Yeah, just, it was and very the, disturbing. And the creepy portrait and the like projected bugs everywhere. Oh, right, yeah. Travis was saying, look on the ground or something, and then you'd look on the ground with these bugs, and he's like, no, no, look up. <laughs> yeah, 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 because you'd look on the ground, and there'd be like spiders or like other creepy things wandering around on the ground, and then it would abruptly change. Mm. Yeah, it was an uh, interesting experience for me, but for you being your birthday, <laughs> was I thought was a different thing all of all on its own. And you did, know, it, it fit really well with how, like, the rest of that week had gone, though. <laughs> so, and, like, most of that summer, like, if something was going to happen and there was a way that it could go wrong, it went wrong in, like, the most ridiculous way it possibly could have gone wrong. <laughs> so, it, like, it fit well. I wasn't unprepared for it. So, would you do that again? Uh, 
Well, maybe not that room, but <laughs> yes, I would do it you again. You double check to make sure what room it was you're booking. Yeah, I think I would ask ahead of time, like, is it creepy? <laughs> are things going to jump out at me? But really, are things going to jump out at me? Because they said no mm-hmm. the first time, and then stuff definitely jumped out at us. Yeah, it was a uh, wasn't it like a witch or something that that inflated <laughs> in like a dark room or something. Yeah, it like popped out from behind the lockers yeah. and then like cackled at you. Yeah, it's it very yes. interesting. Yeah, so those who uh, want to try a, a, an escape room. Make sure, just double check, you know, <laughs> just yeah. just do that. And so um, moving forward, so, okay, you're here in St. Catharines at Brock University doing your stuff, but where did your journey begin? Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Clarkston, Michigan, originally, uh, which is just north of Detroit in Michigan. Okay. Um, I went... Went to a prep school in Pontiac, and then from there went to Albion College in Albion, Michigan, which is like directly in between um, Ann Arbor and East Lansing. So Michigan mm-hmm. State's campus is in East Lansing, and Michigan University is in Ann Arbor. Okay. Most people at least usually know what those are if they don't know what anything else in Michigan is. Right. But Albion is like right in the middle of those two. Great. So our American listeners will have a very clear idea of where you're from. Especially the ones in the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Nice. Do you leave? Yeah. Travis is saying where he lives in Saskatchewan? Is it Saskatchewan? Manitoba. Manitoba, Manitoba yeah. Hey, yeah. whatever. <laughs> ah, same thing. <laughs> anyway. Just kidding. Saskatchewan <laughs> and Manitoba. <laughs> we love you guys. Um, um, so anyways, he says he leaves his door open. Do you... Is that something you've ever done? <laughs> no. In the rural areas? Of- <laughs> no, 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 no. Albion was out in the middle of nowhere, but it was by no means a safe city. <laughs> you did not leave your door unlocked. You did not go to the park after the sun went down because that's how people get stabbed. Wow. So it, it's that was an interesting uh, place to live. And so do you think that shaped your life at all? It like it certainly made me react to my surroundings differently, mm. um, which was really apparent to me after I moved here to St. Catharines, where it's still like I have family come and visit, and they reacted the same way that I did, just being completely baffled that like people walk home at night in St. Catharines with their like tiny children in the dark, like all the way up to like 11 p.m. People are walking around outside, like you just don't do that where I'm from. <laughs> wow. So they're just like baffling like people riding around on their bikes not really mm. like worried about anything not paying attention like talking to people on their porches is that where you really formed your just world theory concept well that's not your concept but no, i'm not that learners where... <laughs> is that where you really got attracted to it uh yeah i did a lot of work with uh dealing with sexual violence victims and the issue of sexual violence when i was an undergrad And one of the big theories about why people respond to victims in the ways that they do, why they blame them and derogate them, is to support this belief that the world is a just place where good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So when someone's assaulted, people often blame them or try to find some way to say that it was that person's fault, um, Mm. thereby maintaining this perception that the world's a just place. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. I remember, like, in my undergrad, I, I learned a lot about it, too. And... It's fascinating because it can you start looking at your own life and when you've done that, you know, and I have, and you're like, oh man, like was that is that just me trying to maintain this sort of belief that you know everything that goes on, right, is is just, and so if I'm good, and so I continually try to be good, so no no nothing bad ever happens, right? Yeah. I think you know loss, we'll just jump right in, you know, like <laughs> to to grief and loss. I think loss actually that's hard one for people to get their head around because 
if it's loss of someone else, it's different. But when it's like your immediate family or someone you love that you know is a good person and they still die, like what happens, you know? Yeah, that's actually what I did my advanced study paper with uh, your supervisor on over the summer was how people respond to situations where it's particularly when it's like an abrupt loss of someone very close to you. So it's not something that like you've had time to understand. Um, Like if someone's dying of a terminal illness, perhaps you've had time to sort of like prepare yourself for that event Mm -hmm. um, or sort of find some sort of other way to um, make it fit into how you view the world. At least it's a predictable event in that sense. Whereas if it's something that's very abrupt, unexpected, particularly to like a child or someone Mm -hmm. that you saw as a really good person, it's really hard for people to deal with. It just shatters their entire perception of how the world works. And so what happens when that model gets shattered? Um, well, a lot of things could potentially happen, but many of them are negative. If the person isn't able to find a way to sort of rebuild those assumptions, mm-hmm. it makes it more difficult for them to function uh, within society and within their day-to-day life. Um, so they're because they've been relying on a model, and now that model's yeah. broken. <laughs> You're like, like, all right, well, there goes that theory. <laughs> well, particularly yeah. if it's, uh, if your belief is like, oh, well, the world's a predictable place. I can avoid bad things happening to me. And then suddenly, you know, this, this happens. You lose someone close to you in a traumatic way. Like, how do you feel safe, like, leaving your house or going about That's your right. day-to-day life? Make so, it just everything terrifying. So everything be random. Yeah. Can I, and the sadness, anxiety, the depression will take in. Because, right, like, we try to categorize ourselves. Because when I came here to do the, like, to do the podcast, I wasn't thinking that. I wasn't going to make it, you know, but if you have, if that sense of just, like just world theory, if that's all broken, you may just leave your house and get run over or anything. Yeah. Happen. Right. So anything can happen. So you're constantly in the sense of fear, which I think, you know, I think the benefit of that model that we all sort of use is that it helps us plan for the future, you know, and to do things um, in a positive way. Cause it's, it's very hard. I think to consciously every moment think that the next moment may not happen. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of evidence that, people who have this belief in a just world or who um, have a stronger belief in a just world are more likely to do things like plan for the future and invest mm-hmm. in these long-term goals. Whereas if you don't have that, you don't have that belief structure, you're more likely to you know, go for whatever uh, positive outcomes are in your immediate future rather mm-hmm. than planning more for the long-term. Oh, I see, yeah. So do more risk, high-risk behaviors. Because it doesn't matter? No, because it's... Uh, if you don't know sort of what the future holds or if you have no way of predicting what's going to happen in the future, then it's in your best interest to just go for whatever's right in front of you um, rather than yeah. bypass those short-term goals for some greater long-term goal. Yeah, so you're not saving. You wouldn't save, right? Because the only reason why you save is because you think there's going to be a future that you're going to need the money for, right? So you're spending just paycheck to paycheck probably. Yeah. yeah. Why get married? Anything can happen. That's right, yeah. So, so yeah, it definitely will change the direction of your life. It's fascinating. And so what other things did you find during your paper? Yeah, there's uh, one of the other ways that people can deal with this loss of their their assumptive world or this belief in a just world is to find some way to either rebuild those assumptions, so change how they look at the world, or find some way to make that event fit into their existing belief structure. So there's there's been a bit of research looking at specifically rebuilding those assumptions to fit uh, the experience that you've had. So finding some way to either alter or just change your assumptions to better fit, you know, this this realization that, you know, maybe not everything is predictable. Right. What would be, a, what would be an example of that? 
Do you have one? I'm like in, in top back of my brain. I'm kind of thinking about like religion. How would you? Well, one way that you could look at it is people um, sometimes following a loss will reach out toward religion for a sense of sort of ultimate justice, right? So if you don't have imminent justice, which is justice in the near future, um, you might have it, you know, in the afterlife. Even if things don't work out here, you know, we're going to a better place, sort of idea. Right, or the person who maybe killed someone or did harm to someone, they'd go to a negative place. Yeah, ah, exactly. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, just learning about, you know, religion as a whole and different religions, you kind of, people definitely put things into right or wrong categories. Um, that could be very dangerous. Yes, definitely. All right. So we've talked, you know, we jumped ahead of, you know, a course you took or a paper you wrote on the grief and just world. But let's go back to your undergrad. So what was that experience like and why did you even want to consider graduate school? Oh, well, it's interesting. I actually started undergrad. Um, I applied to Albion and I applied to a number of other schools, all sort of with this intention of going into art, not going into anything even related to science. So like I, art, art, like painting or yeah. singing? Yeah. So like I illustrated a couple of children's books. I got into a few art shows for um, a drawing that I did as well as a, um, some pottery that I made. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't I, think I ever knew that. That's incredible. Yeah. That's why uh, in FIRES I can write sideways on the board and it's still legible. Oh, yeah, that's true. It continues true. to amaze people for some reason. Actually, <laughs> like the people in psych are like, oh, you're so artsy. You can write sideways and people can read it. <laughs> this is not artsy, guys. That's cool. That's interesting. Do you still do that now? Uh, I haven't for a while. Because um, there's a pottery place in St. Catharines, I know. Yeah, I would love to get to there sometime because I just I loved pottery and just like throwing on the wheel and running mm. the kilns and stuff like that. Just like, do you still do creative things now? I try to. I don't have nearly as much time, but uh, I feel like I've got my sketchbook at home. I did some drawings over the summer when I ran out of good thoughts for how to to work with this this paper that I was writing. But I don't have nearly as much time as I'd like for it. Mm. But yeah, I started out in that sort of direction for the first like two and a half years of undergrad I was headed in this direction of like maybe I would go into fine arts or illustration or something like that and then I took stats which is not what most people would think would like turn you around to wanting to go into <laughs> psychology but I took the first half of the stats course and I told the professor after it was done I was like well this has been fun I never want to do this ever again and I'm gonna go back and and do like a uh, project with arts over the summer and I'm never going to do psych ever again but thanks for your time which was incredibly insulting and in retrospect not a great thing to say to your professor no one should ever do that but um yeah and then over the summer I was dealing with some of the sexual violence issues on campus and it just like sort of clicked in my head that the easiest way to actually tackle those issues and actually get people to listen to what I was trying to tell them was to give them actual evidence mm -hmm. and the only way I was going to be able to do that was if I actually did the research and looked at the things that I knew were important. So then I had to go back in the fall and the same professor was teaching the second half of the stats course and I had to beg her to let me into the course, <laughs> which she did, which was fantastic. And it was the first half of the course was more of like the non-parametric observational stats. And the second half of the course was all like the experimental stuff. And I just loved it. Mm. Absolutely loved it. Wow. And so that pushed you forward. So then you said, hey, I want to go want to do this even more you just yeah. could, it was just like I want to do more stats that was the only well like the stats and like it wasn't just the stats themselves but sort of what you could do with them mm. so it was um, the application of the so what you learned yeah 
I mean, the stats themselves are fun. It's like a giant puzzle, but being able to then... Like an escape room? <laughs> like an escape room. Much like an escape room. Now we know. We've connected the two. Okay. Just not creepy like some escape rooms. But yeah, You're it was... doing an injustice to escape rooms. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's funny too, because the professor that uh, I initially insulted was the same one who the next semester let me uh, TA her stats course for her and then introduced me to my honors thesis supervisor. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she took me to my first conference, my That's, first wow. uh, national conference after I graduated. That's amazing. So I, I guess it goes to show you shouldn't hold judgments of people, you know, uh, in the future because they can change. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that, that's incredible. Um, it's cool that you, you found a, a problem that you wanted to kind of look into. You know, uh, How did you come across that? <laughs> uh, Albion... I really enjoyed where I went to undergrad. The professors, just want to preface what I'm about to say. The professors that I worked with were outstanding. A lot of the students that I worked with were really great and really focused on social issues. But Albion College itself had, and probably still does have, a lot of problems. So there were a lot of issues with discrimination on campus, some of which I don't think the administration fully understood how much of an issue it was. There were a lot of issues with, at least when I first started, with sexual violence victims not getting taken seriously by campus security. There's also a lot of like homophobia and, and sexism that went on on campus and a lot of just like terrible things that happened while I was there that didn't really seem to get the attention that they deserved. Mm-hmm. I actually considered leaving during my first year because I just got like within the first maybe two months, I just got so fed up with dealing with all of it that I started an application to transfer to another school and then kind of realized partway through doing that that like no one else was was pushing these issues or sort of had the connections that I did with some of the administrators to continue pushing the issues as much as they needed to be. Uh, so I stuck around and mm-hmm. proceeded to continue pressing those issues the entire time I was there. Wow. Well, good for you. Hopefully it made a difference and it got people to see it in a new light, Hopefully. to take it seriously, to raise awareness on the topic. Because that's all you can ask for, right? Yeah, I mean, there were there were certainly some frustrating setbacks, but by the end, um, I worked really closely with like the dean of students and a few of the profs, as well as campus security, to get this uh, this advocacy program started on campus to give victims or to give survivors of sexual violence um, like a support person and a voice throughout that process. Wow, good for you. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's still working, but <laughs> it was when I left. That's all you can do, right? You can just plant the seed and keep walking and plant some more seeds. And so, what made you want to plant a seed in at Brock University? Um, I actually came, so I was, I applied to a number of different schools and I'd heard back from Carolyn like a week before the end of the first term of my last year mm-hmm. of undergrad. Who's Carolyn? Carolyn Hafer, my supervisor. Okay. For a minute I thought you were actually asking me <laughs> who she was. I know, she was in the else does. Every <laughs> week, talking about. Um, yeah, so Carolyn Hafer, my supervisor who works here, she uh, emailed me and so had me come out and meet her. And like, she was fantastic. I loved the research that, that she was doing. And she's also just like a great person. So I was sold on coming to Brock because I knew I'd be able to, to do work that I thought was meaningful and that I'd be able to do it with a supervisor that I trusted. That's cool. And I think we talked about that a little bit with Travis, right? About picking a supervisor. That's right. Yeah, Travis had nothing but good things to say about his supervisor. And I like how there was a process involved because I'm not a, I haven't gone through this. I'm not a PhD student, so I didn't know what was involved. So learning that there is a phase where you're trying to f- see if it's the right fit. And that's key. You're going to spend some time here, a lot of money. So, you know, it should be good for both of you. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's there's that adjustment process when you first get there and like you don't know the person, you don't know how they work and you kind of have to figure out like how your working habits fit with that person's. And from what I can tell, there's everyone goes through this brief adjustment where like you just <laughs> don't quite get how they work and they don't quite get how you work and you butt heads a bit. Yeah. But, but then it all comes out in the beautiful journey and you get a yeah. PhD and you get something that you're proud of and they're proud of that. And yeah, you're always compromising in different ways. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's all for the, it's all for the better good, I guess. The greater good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's so interesting for me to see and hear about because, you know, seeing how you found a topic that you were serious about and really passionate about discovering more and trying to resolve and then leading into your PhD or your master's and then PhD candidacy and whatnot research is pretty incredible to see that journey within what four or five year span. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been it's been pretty exciting. And Carolyn has definitely let me keep looking at social issues that I think are important. So I'm not working as much with sexual violence anymore, so much as human rights violations and why people tolerate those and ways to avoid that now. Wow. So what's your plan moving forward? Because you're you're probably done in about a year and a half, probably. Yeah. So my plan, (laughs) hopefully a year and a half. uh, I'm an international student and I don't continue to get funding after the next year and a half. Mm, True. But yeah, my plan is to hopefully go on to do a postdoc and look for mm. professor positions after that. So you want to teach? I do. Despite how much I really hate marking essays, I do love the teaching part of it. It's for the greater good. It is. <laughs> well, that's it great is. to hear, right? Because that's such an important thing. Teachers, you know, at mm-hmm. any level, you know, I say it all the time, are shaping the minds. But truly and honestly, like you're on the forefront of ideology for these kids and whatnot students, right? Like especially stuff you're dealing with. It's important, so you know it, it helps yeah. develop our society. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually TAing the the social justice course that my supervisor's teaching right now, and that has been like this has been easily one of the best terms that I've had in terms of students and wow yeah it's fantastic they're like a great bunch I'm gonna be really bummed when this term is over oh that's awesome that's good but then you get the oh no you don't have the summer it's uh next term <laughs> yeah. yep okay next yeah. term start off with a class I've never done before we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> That's good. So, you know, like moving forward, so you had a great journey. Is there any advice for someone that maybe um, wants to do their, they're in their undergrad right now and they, they're considering maybe moving forward to the graduate level? Like, is there anything you would tell them or give them any tips? Um, I mean, make sure it's something that you really like. Because mm-hmm. um, I know, at least in my master's, I there were some students here and I guess some students that I met at, at conferences who like, didn't maybe they weren't as crazy about their topic as they thought they were and then it just becomes like a huge drag like if you don't really like what you're doing like you got to keep in mind you're doing it for like at least eight hours a day every day of the week so it's got to be something you're definitely interested in but even more than that is just making sure that like the environment that you're in that it suits you Mm. because I mean like there there are people who go in I've heard about going into labs where they have like a really toxic supervisor or their lab mates have sort of a a toxic environment they've created in the lab and it just sours the entire experience right and I think you're you're right and I like when you're talking about the um, doing something you love because I could never like looking back I could never do this journey if I didn't have a best interest in this topic I wouldn't because I don't care you know at the end of the right. day like, i wouldn't care like, i wouldn't like sacrifice so much for a degree you know like, i don't value right. a degree that much a lot of people do but it's like that's not my main thing my main thing is just like getting research out for healthy people right on yeah. this topic 
Um, so that's really cool that you have that. And, and I think it's great advice to anything you do, not just grad school, but just in life, your career, and just trying to use your passions and whatever that is and, and find, find that, find a way to do that. And hopefully you find your way back to some creative outlets. Yeah, I mean, yeah. eventually. Uh, do you dance a lot? Because Travis was saying that he tries to make everyone dance or have a dance party. It is weird. Travis and I have like little times in the car where we're like, we'll dance a little bit. And I dance around the house, you know, when everyone else is in the basement. Yeah. Much to uh, the fear of Proton the cat. <laughs> um, you have a cat? Brent has a cat. My um, housemate has a cat. Um, he's very skittish. So if I like suddenly start dancing in the kitchen, sometimes it scares him. But dancing is a creative outlet. I, I think, you, yeah, you're talking about that too. How like you used to dance. Do you still dance, Sean? No, I mean, I, uh, on my own maybe, but like, not, not formally or anything. <laughs> but, you know, any creative thing, uh, I, I think it's really important. Uh, to get you know to especially if you've done creative things in the past and your mind is generally like that because it's it's just you know get the flow yeah flow is important to kind of get your mind off what you're doing and just focused on the artistic craft that you're that you're invested in so whether it's pottery or painting or singing a song or making music or i like to edit my podcast that's Mm. where i get creative and i'm in the flow like two hours will pass by and you know, I forget my problems. Oh, yeah. I guess I guess you could say survey design is creative, at least in terms <laughs> of how I do it. Yeah, I guess I guess so, right? Like any kind of thing. And I like to just do a shout out to Sean. <laughs> okay. uh, right here, you don't want to show me. That's what I want. Okay, this is for you, buddy. <laughs> no, it's uh, our intro and our extra. Like that's a very creative way of you designing that. I don't know how to like do that, but that's really cool. How you could you use your own flair to make the intro and the outro for the podcast. I think that's really cool, the sound and everything. And there's a lot of work that you're doing that, you know, like I'm not a part of in that way, but it's just creative. It's like your world and you're playing with except with the edits and stuff. You know, it's stuff I enjoy. Uh, this is a passion project. I'm not making any money uh, right now off this, and I just enjoy doing it. So it's, it's for me, like during my week, you know, if I can take some time out, work on the podcast, like that's fun for me and that's relaxing in a weird way. Like I feel really good after I've edited a full podcast. That's cool. Do you think you'd ever do more podcasts or go somewhere else like with podcasts? You're doing really well here. Do you think like you'd be like a podcaster, like quote unquote? Like, is um, that, like... I mean, eventually I'd like to be able to support myself mm-hmm. uh, so I could do it full time. You know, I'd like to, you know, the main thing I think is just being creative and putting content out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hearing having interviews is fun for me. It's fun to sit here. I know you for you, it's fun too. Yeah. You know, speaking with amazing people like Carrie over here <laughs> oh, thank you. and uh, hearing their amazing stories, it's enjoyable. So why not? You know, but obviously I have to try to find a way to get paid. I still got to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you find like cause talking to students, you want to be a teacher? Do you, is that valuable for you? Like, like hearing students stories and that sort of thing, or is it just the research you want to get into and then you teach? Like what, what aspect of that do you, that you love? I think it's a little of both. Um, like I definitely, I definitely enjoy the research part of it. And there are definitely days where, um, like having to do the teaching part of it gets in the way of the research. And I find that incredibly frustrating, but there are also a lot of times where like I learn more about my students and about their interests and about like why they're taking the course and sort of what they've done during undergrad um, and what what being in that course means to them, I guess, in the, the greater picture of their their life. And that's always a really cool experience, um, just hearing about like how they got there and what their interactions with me sort of mean to them. Like, I had a student who um, I worked with him a couple of years ago and he was he was struggling quite a bit. And um, 
I told him, like, after the class finished, if he needed help with some of his other site courses, he could always come and talk to me. And he stopped by a few times to get, like, some stats help when he was in the stats course. And now he's doing, like, amazing. Wow. He was the guy who played the bagpipes at uh, the charity golf tournament. Okay, yeah. He's, like, the president of the, the psych society in <laughs> undergrad now. And I went, I went up to him afterwards. I was like, holy crap, like, you're doing so well. Like, That's what amazing. a change. And he said, oh, you know, it's... TAs like you and all the encouragement you gave us, wow. you know. That's well, true. It's yeah. true. I know I've uh, neglected, like in high school, I hated math. And the reason was a certain teacher, <laughs> I just, you know, I, he just rubbed me the wrong way. We just never got along. And it just really made me not like math. And then I actually took it in university and I took some sort of stats, uh, no, calculus course. And I actually really enjoyed it. And then I realized, oh man, it was just because the teacher. <laughs> The person can make it, right? Yes. So I'm glad yeah. you, you you are able to do that for students and that you that you see the impact of what, you know, I think helping, giving the extra help, like seeing them as someone on a journey rather than only asking another question, like, come on. I mean, I definitely yeah. have those days. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not perfect. I have plenty of days where I get frustrated or irritated or, you know, uh, disheartened about the whole thing. But I try to make sure I at least look at it as like, this is what's the benefit for them out of this, mm -hmm. not just the benefit for me. That's nice. Yeah, each interaction is important and, and that can you know really mold uh, someone's future decision-making based on uh, their interaction with you. Yeah, for sure. All right, so I think now is a good time to uh, ask about, since this is a Grief Dreams podcast, I think we may ask, have you ever had a, a loss in your life, on your journey so far? Yes, I have had, I've had several actually. I have no grandparents left. Wow, goodness. Uh, so my grandfather died when I was in high school. I think it was in high school. Yes. And then um, when I was in undergrad, so starting in my second year, my great-grandmother died. And then in my third year of undergrad, my remaining grandparents, so my grandmother, my grandmother, grandfather on my dad's side, all of them died. Wow. Um, and then shortly before that, I had a friend who overdosed. Wow. And so what was the journey? Like, see, so you have so many losses. Like, is it... Does it get easier to grieve as it moves forward, or is it like every loss has, you know, is very difficult? I guess it um, it really depended on on the person and and what was going on at the time. Because I know with my with my grandmother on my mom's side, she was like the cornerstone of our of our whole extended like massive family. We had all the holidays at her house. Like mm -hmm. she was always involved in everyone's lives. Like she was just an amazing person. And that was really rough, but at the time, I don't think I was like fully processing what was going on or just how big of an impact it was. And it wasn't until like months later, yeah. you know, going to like realizing that we weren't going to be going to grandma's house for Christmas or we weren't going to be going there for New Year's or Easter and that she wasn't going to be at my graduation and, and stuff like that. That's when it really hit me. Wow, you're right. Like those moments, right? That you're like, oh, I, she would have liked this or, you know, yeah, that, that's tough. And, do you still talk about her? Like when it comes oh. to Christmas, does her name come up? Oh yeah, my uh, my aunt on my mom's side moved into her house. Um, they sold their old home and, and moved into my grandmother's house. So we still have like big family holidays there occasionally. Oh wow! Um, nice. And everyone's still like that whole side of the family is like loud and way too into each other's lives. So we have like um, a group chat on, on iMessage that pops up on my computer all the time. 
And so over Thanksgiving, my cousin Mariah went to the graveyard and she said, oh, you know, B and Papa say happy Thanksgiving. And then like gave us a shot of the tombstone. It's a little awkward because I was in the middle of like a presentation when it popped up. But <laughs> I like that okay. though. It's, it's almost like you're continuing the narrative of like, hey, grandma's house, Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, your aunt moved into the same house. You know, that, that's cool to see, you know, cherished memories. And you talk about ritual yeah. too, right? Like doing yeah. the same thing at the, at the house, like there's meaning towards that, right? Oh, yeah, and we still, like, we still bring them up all the time. So anytime we have a family event, um, so my family, they're they're German and Irish on my mom's side. So we're very, you know, blunt, loud people, mm. sometimes fairly negative. Um, so we have a lot of conversations, like, we'll go to, like, weddings and stuff. And then we talk about all of the things that, like, my grandmother or my great-grandmother would have hated. Oh, I see. Also things they would have liked, but also things that they definitely would have bitched about. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> And so, have you had a dream of any of those people um, so far? Yeah, yeah, a few times. Um, usually, like, they were never even gone. Like, I've had dreams before where it's like they're just a part of my life, like they always were. Like, they never died and they were still there. Oh, okay. It's always a little weird to wake up to. But. Right, yeah, because you're like, was I, I thought they're, no, right? Like, they're dead, right? Yeah. Like, it's, I hear, I hear that a lot, actually, people sort of having these dreams. Where it's just like a casual day. So was anything happening or it's just like it's just like a normal day and you just wake up thinking, oh, wait, no, like that was a dream. Yeah, I don't remember anything that happened. I just remember mm-hmm. I've had several dreams and it's like they were involved as though it was just a typical day and that's they'd always been involved. That's fascinating. Yeah, so it wasn't really about your grief per se. It was just like they're not talking about your loss. They're not saying they're sorry. Like nothing like that. It's just like a casual day. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. That's really interesting. Yeah, I would, I would actually that sounds similar to mine. I don't necessarily remember too many of the grief dreams per se, but if if I do dream about a loved one who's passed, it's usually like that. Just regular automatic things that we're doing, going for coffee or whatever. Right. And so have you ever dreamt of your friend that had the overdose? Uh no. So she I knew her most I guess I knew her or got to know her the most in my first year of undergrad mm. and then she dropped out shortly after that. Um, and I only saw her occasionally sort of on and off, but she was really, really close with my roommate. Mm. Um, they were like really, really good friends. And then, so when she overdosed, I think it was a lot harder on, on Aaron than it was on, on any of us. Right. Cause she was a lot closer. Interesting. Yeah. It was, it was a shock because I mean, she was like 20 some years old. Like she was yeah. really young, just out of nowhere. But you know, I don't think, I don't think I ever had any grief dreams about it. That's interesting. And so when you get to these family circles at Christmas or whatnot, do anyone ever mention these dreams? Like, have you ever asked your other family members about their, if they've ever had a dream? I feel like a few of them have mentioned it before. Um, Like, I think some of my aunts and uncles definitely have. I can't remember what they were saying. (laughs) I must not have been listening very closely. But it's definitely come up before, Um, particularly like right after she died, because for my aunts and uncles, it was just so, so rough. I mean, like, we were all at the house, and just, like, everyone was really distraught. Um, but from what I remember, those that did have grief dreams, I think it, it probably helped Yeah. in the aftermath of that. Well, you hope, right? And unless you ask, you don't really know, because, you know, someone could have negative dreams. I think maybe yeah. still are. And it's like, it's always, I always sort of put that plug into, like, continue to ask, like, are they? You know, and you'll be surprised what people say when you just ask the question. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure they would have lots to say about it if they did. Because um, they like to talk. and They do. Yeah. They love to talk. Like, I am not by any means a, a particularly quiet person, but I am on the quieter end of my extended family for sure. 
That's funny. And so I guess like going forward, like if you could like make a dream, right? Like what dream would you want to have and who would you want in it? I don't know. Like I, I think that's a good question. I've never really thought about it. I'm not sure. I guess like if I could dream about my grandmother, I'd want it to be, you know, one of those like big family Christmases again. Mm. Just like all of the family there. Loud and everything. Matriarch's house. Everybody's there. That's awesome. Uh, Like around a table or just like. Oh, no, no. There are way too many of us. (laughs) There are two tables and then there is the breezeway that we all go and sit in if there are no room at the tables. That's funny. So is there like a special outfit that your grandma would always wear? No, although uh, we did. When she died, uh, my our, our joke was that we all wore bee blanks. We called her bee. Um, oh, okay. We wore bee bling to the funeral. Uh, she liked jewelry. She liked like big, gaudy, shiny jewelry, jewelry and those like big brooches uh, with just like all of the gold beads and crap. She just like loved them. So she had this like massive jewelry box full of all of what we referred to as bee bling. Mm-hmm. So like she didn't have a specific outfit, but she had that like big jewelry that she was always wearing. So you want to just decked out with this. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've got a box of it in my closet that my aunt gave me before I left the house. She's like, here, take all of take all of this jewelry. And she's like, there's more, don't worry. And he hands me all of it. It's two more suitcases. <laughs> it's like a it's a decent sized box of it. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty interesting. And so it'd be at Christmas time? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah, because Christmas was always, like, the big holiday that, like, everyone showed up for. Wow. We'd all, like, spend the night. Was there gifts exchanged, too? Oh, like... yeah. <laughs> it was. So I have 16 cousins, and my grandmother used to shop year-round for Christmas presents. Like, anytime she went out, she just, like, I went shopping with her. She just loved doing it. She'd, like, find something little that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. or, like, a book, and she would just, like, get 16 of them. And then she would have these big bags and she would just fill each bag progressively throughout the year. So then like come Christmas Day, we all had like all of these little gifts um, from her. It was just really cool. And each gift was different. So they weren't all the same book or. Oh, no, they were usually like there were some themes like uh, because my cousins and I we're almost born in like waves. It seems like like they're always I have like two or three other cousins who are in the same sort of grade as I am. Mm -hmm. We're all around the same age. And then. About two years ahead of that, there's my cousin Margaret and my cousin Joseph. So for those of us who are all around the same age, we all got like sort of similarly themed gifts. Usually not exactly the same, but like pretty close. Yeah. And then she'd find some other little things that uh, were specific to each one of us. Interesting. Kind of a mix. And how old do you want her to be? Like, do you want to be like when she passed or a little younger? You know, it's funny. In my mind, she was like always the same age. (laughs) Yeah, they always are grandparents. Right, it's just like they're just grandparents. They're just that's how old they are. They're always that age. They don't get older. They don't get younger. They're Born just, they always look that's like funny. that. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. And I also I love asking the question because I hear more about who the individual is because you're sharing stories that off the top of your head you never shared, right? So by bringing that in, I'm learning more about your own loss and your connection with uh, your loved ones. So thank you for sharing, and um, maybe you can one day get that dream. Uh, but who knows? But it's just nice being able to talk about it. And so, yeah, I want to thank you for sharing that and sharing your story and sharing yeah. uh, just your life journey and, and how you and your goals for the future. Yeah. I mean, thanks for uh, telling us the story, like Josh already said. And, you know, again, the, the work you're doing is important, I think, uh, based on what you did in Michigan and then based on what, you, what you're doing here at Brock. It's very important. You know, people need to be feel safe in school environments uh, and then overall society. You know, we, we need to feel safe and understand these things that are happening to us then that keep happening and how to 
figure them out. Yeah, how to process them. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, you can share this podcast with all 16 of your uh, <laughs> Christmas or cousins. Uh, they, would, they would actually probably appreciate that. Yeah, you gave them a nice shout out. That's there you go. See? And they're fantastic. I'll never hear the end of it. But <laughs> Is there anywhere people can contact you for uh, your work? Uh, yeah. So my Brock email is probably the easiest one. It's uh, cd11da at brocku.ca. Do you have any publications out there? I do. I have two of them. Oh. And then I have another one uh, that will hopefully be out soon that I'm working on that's based on the first study of my PhD. And so where can they find that? I guess if you just type my last name into Google Scholar. Okay. Perfect. Um, As well, if you guys want to, uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for taking time on your Saturday to come talk to us. If uh, the audience wants to find out more about Grief Dreams, you can visit us at griefdreams.ca. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account, at Grief Dreams. We have a newsletter that we do. Check that out as well. We have podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean.com, and most other podcast apps. Also, if you want to shoot us online, you could hit us up at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. All right. Check you later. beginning. beginning.